0: Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake and welcome to Eastlake Online. For those of you catching this on the live stream or on replay, we're glad that you are taking the time to do so. Thanks for being here in person. For those of you here in person, we are on uh, part four of a series we're calling Asking Better Questions. And uh, basically the precedent behind the series has been this, that some of the smartest people you know ask the best questions in life. And I, like you, want to be better at asking good questions, whether it's to my wife at the end of the night or end of the day, uh, to my kids when they get home from school or in the workplace, or in the, you know, to, to friends or whatever. I just want to be known for asking good questions. And I think that that should transfer over into how we approach the Bible uh, as well. I don't think we should be afraid of asking questions about the Bible. I think we should be. I want to I want to be a part of a community that's not afraid of that, who, who recognize that this whole thing is interpretation of this deal, um, and to ask really good questions about it. Um, because I think good questions lead to, uh, a better understanding and a better way of uh, of knowing God and doing life. So anyways, uh, if you've ever been a part of a church that was against you asking questions about the Bible, that's not what this place is. We want you to do better at it. In fact, so much so, we're going to do an entire series about it. I want you reading your Bible too. And we said, one of the things about the series, it's going to be in five weeks, we're on part four or five. Um, is that I would love it as homework for everybody to be reading their Bible or to be read by the Bible during this series. Uh, And I'm not saying read the whole Bible in five weeks. That would be a lot. Um, I'm just saying something, being in it, allowing it to speak into us and read us as, as we read it. Um, as well. So hopefully you're following along with that. We have spent the first three weeks looking at the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, or Christians call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, um, and how the breakdown for them was, you know, Torah, prophets, and wisdom books or, or writings. Um, and so we spent the first three weeks looking at those. And then I said, I promised you that we would jump into the New Testament, the Christian scriptures uh, starting this week. So today we're gonna be looking at the Gospels, uh, which are the first four books in the New Testament, and the next week to finish it off, the writings. And so that's kind of like the overall picture of it. And the idea behind it has been perhaps if we can understand the genre of this, of all of those different things, the way that they were written, the style in which they were written, who they were written to, why they were written, perhaps we will then have better questions as a result um, of it. And uh, and that's been kind of a strategic thing uh, for us. And so we said uh, history, we, we said that the Torah is like a, we read it, it reads us. We said that history has an agenda, that wisdom has a name, and today the gospels um, have a precedent. So if you missed any of those, previous three weeks and what we talk about today interests you, um, there's a website. You can go to TriCities.com slash talks. Uh, we have all of the talks that are posted there, as well as a, a more convenient option probably would be an app on your phone. Um, just search East Lake Tri-Cities. In that app is going to be a little tab down the bottom that says talks, as well as a notes section. That anything that comes up on the screen will also be on there to follow along with. All right. Just saved you a bunch of time. If you've missed the first three parts of the series, that's where we're at, and you just saved a bunch of time. Here we go. Diving into today, before we do that, though, I got a phone call. All right, I stopped by my parents' house um, this week, and uh, I, I unannounced, uh, and probably just to eat their food, and I, when I popped in, my mom said, oh, so glad you're here. I found some things that you might want. Um, And what that always means is she was digging around in her basement and is sick and tired of storing my stuff from when I used to live there. Um, And so take it or I'm going to throw it away. And so a couple of them were some binders and some books or whatever, and then, those were just whatevers. But then she also gave me my yearbook from my senior year in high school, 2001, from King, it was Faith Christian Academy at the time, but Kings Point uh, Christian School now uh, in Pat, it's a small school. I graduated with like seven other seniors. I did Running Start, so I was hardly ever there junior and senior year, but it was like the only one that like worked with the schedule to do it. Um, And so honestly, I didn't know many of the kids uh, (laughs) in this school and it's a very small school. So, that said, I have not looked at this for a very long time. This has been, uh, this has not seen the light of day than perhaps, you know, mid-June 2001 when I got it like early part of June, all right? And so she handed me this. And like you, you know, you get nostalgic once in a while. You rip this thing open. You look at what everybody else wrote of you. Oh, it's so fun. Let's hang out. And I'm like, I don't even remember who you are. Um, and yet, I, I, and then I took it home. And I was done. I I, I had brought it home, and, and my wife said, what's that? And I said, oh, it's our, my yearbook from senior year. And her and I went to the same school together, but we were not friends at the time. Uh, she was friends with my younger sister. Uh, we were three years apart. I was a senior. She was a freshman. And, you know, I just, that's fine. That's good. I, I you know, uh, wanted to prove to you that I'm not some weirdo predator on, on freshman girls, and I'm gonna prove it to you in just a minute. Um, so she opened it up and found where she had written to me in my yearbook. And if you follow her on Instagram, you already know how this story ends and and, and what what she wrote, uh, which is a good life decision. You should follow her. She's great. Um, But here's what she wrote. Brent, hey, it's been a great year. We never talked much, but we live next to each other. So there's always time. I'll talk to you later. Love, Kylie Marie. And then in the comment section over here, she wrote, just found this in Brent's senior yearbook from baby freshman me. I guess we found time to talk. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, so anyways, that's, that's real life story and goes to prove uh, I wasn't a weirdo back then. And we, we, it was like the summer of that year, of, after that, that we started hanging out. Uh, and then in the fall, began dating and uh, four kids later, all that good stuff. So It's really, really great. Um, A similar sort of story happens in the Jewish scriptures um, in the Old Testament that I think is gonna set the precedent for what we're gonna find in setting the stage for who the gospels were written to. And you might be sitting there going, Brent, I thought we were moving on to the New Testament. We are, but there's a small picture of the Old Testament that I wanna draw your attention to to kind of describe what the audience was like in terms of who the gospel stories were written to. Understanding the audience is important. Um, because uh, it, it shapes a little bit about, I think, why it was written. So in 2 Kings um, chapter 22, so the, the kings in the Old Testament, there's two, two books on it, um, basically history of different kings who rose and, fall and fell in, in uh, in, in the history of Israel, and there was good kings and bad kings. It, was, it would always be precedented by so-and-so was a good king in the eyes of the Lord. He did this. Um, then he, his son, unfortunately, fell, you know, apple fell far from the tree. He wasn't great, and he did this. So different stories along those lines. And then in t- uh, chapter 22, it says, King he- Hezekiah came to the throne. He was a, v- a young kid when he came to the throne, and he was a good king. Uh, and at one point, he decided to allocate some money from the reserves to the repair of the temple. Um, and we're going to do some remodeling. We're going to do some reconstruction of this sort of thing. And just like you, if you've ever done a remodel project at your home, especially a home that you didn't uh, that you didn't build yourself, uh, and maybe it's an older home, as soon as you begin to tear stuff away, you notice things. You're like, "Oh, there's like flooring underneath this carpet, or there's a whole different wall here, or this this used to be painted this color." It's kind of crazy how this works. So in the process of the remodel of the temple, uh, a book is unearthed and brought to light that they uh, had not seen. And so the, the, the construction guy takes it to a supervisor, the supervisor takes it to the priest. They can tell it's some sort of a religious book and the priest eventually makes its way to the king, and that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter twenty-two, verse ten through thirteen. Uh, and there's going to be some names in here. I'm going to try my best, but like a little bit of grace because it, it feels very uh, it feels Star Wars-ish a little bit, honestly, some of the names. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest is giving me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Now, quick point of contact. Um, Probably what is being read here or what was found or described as being found is the because uh, it says book of the law that was that's commonly referred to as Deuteronomy in our version of it so not the entire first five books just Deuteronomy which was if you remember um, Moses uh preaching to the people of Israel on their way out of wandering in the desert and going into the promised land. Let's get our facts straight about where we came from, who this God is, what happened in Egypt, what he's asking us to do, how we're supposed to live. And if we do this right, the blessings that come along with righteous life Deuteronomy chapter 28, or the curses that come along if we don't follow things right. The whole Deuteronomy thing, the whole format was shaped in sort of a, 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 a common treaty of that time or a contract of that time between a king and what they would call a vassal, uh, or a vassal and, and, and peasant. Like, if you're going to live in my kingdom, you're going to do this. There's one party that's great. There's one party that's not as powerful, right? And so if we're going to be in a relationship, I'm going to expect some things of you. If you're going to live on my land and farm on my land, you're going to do things my way. And if you do, here's the blessings that are going to come. And if you don't, here's the cursings that are going to come. So very contractual format-wise, and Deuteronomy is written in that exact same way. Right, So borrowed sort of medium, if you will, uh, of making these things happen. And in Deuteronomy, it's you're going to live this way. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And, and uh, blessings to those who follow along and curses to those who don't. So that's probably what the book was, w- w- was presented to the king. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikim, uh, son of Shaphan. Ab- see, it's getting really tough in there. Uh, anyways, verse 13. Eventually, he gets to the spot where he says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Now, I believe uh, that most of the Old Testament came into its written format Once the people found themselves in exile in Babylon, right? They go through their entire history. There is no Bible. There's no Jewish scriptures. There's a temple with a sacrificial system and priests and liturgies and all of those things. That was definitely in play. But in terms of holy scriptures, there really wasn't much. Then all of a sudden they find themselves asking the question, what happened to us. We were once a mighty nation, and then we lost, you know, our northern kingdom got taken over by the Assyrians in the north, and the Babylonians came in, in the south in 586. We know this from secular history, and they got hauled off to Babylon, and they find themselves over there, and they're trying to make sense of what happened. We thought our God was great, and yet here we are. Either he's not great, or we did something wrong." So perhaps for them to make sense of what was something that we did wrong um let's recap our history let's recap this sort of thing let's look back Perhaps we didn't follow along. Maybe there was a book or a law or something that we lost sight of. And and that's a big thing that shows up in Deuteronomy uh, because Moses stands in front of the people and he says, write these things down, bind them on your your hearts and your, your hands, put them on the walls as you enter and exit doorways, teach them to your kids when they stand, when they rise, when they walk, when they sleep, like make sure that this law never goes away. And so for these people in exile, Their way to make sense of our current situation is: we've lost our way, we've forgotten the law, we've never, we've we've not followed up along uh, with the law as it was presented. We are experiencing the curses that come up with not obeying what was provided for us. So that they're they're like obsessed with this thing now. Now it goes, we, were, we have been a people of our land. We've been a people of the land. This has been a land that has been given to us. We will be known as God's people by the land that we live in. But when you don't have your land, it's tough to be known as a people of the land, right? So what do they do instead? They've shifted their focus. We are now a people of the book and, and we still are a people of the land. We still wanna get back. The goal is to make our way back to Jerusalem, back into Israel but also we have this book. All of a sudden, they became a people of the book. And this is something that we want to be known for and want to study. And so they begin to do uh, like... Bible study groups, basically. If you've ever been invited to a Bible study group, and it's not a modern American creation, it was back then these people going, let's study the law, let's get real in depth, not to overtake and not to eliminate the temple. We're still gonna go to the temple for our sacrificial systems. We're gonna go, go there to, to, to walk through the liturgy to have the priests pray for us and Yom Kippur and Day of Atonement and all, the, all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, we're gonna form these little small groups of house churches to be students of the book, and they begin to study what they what they would would eventually become the Jewish scriptures that became a passion uh, for them in this way it 's a massive shift, and they would call those little small groups of people meeting in homes synagogues now if you 've read through the Old Testament, you know synagogues become like they begin to have buildings and they begin to you know have structure and, and they would eventually mature in the same way that um, uh, small things like a church plant. Like when we started the church 13 years ago, we met in a high school. We met in Southridge High School, and then about four years in, we thought, wouldn't it be great to have a building? And then you do that. You just have like you just mature as a, as a thing, and then and then you take over an abandoned theater where the urinals don't work. And then then that happens. And then um, you know and the women are like, what do you mean urinals don't work? And the guys are like, yeah, we've seen that sign for a month. Um, so uh, it happens. But these these synagogues, like it's like this it's like this religiousy term, but it, it came about because a small group that were people obsessed with the book began saying, what if we built a structure or an edifice that focused on the book? What if the book was planted at the center of that building? And what if we surrounded like in special seats, some of the elders of our village who knew the most about the book to have certain seats, to be able to kind of come together. And when we came together, not to make sure that we don't ignore the temple, we, we still do the temple thing, but these synagogues are going to be what's critically important for us. And then eventually these would become structures for ed- the educational system. For them, the educational begin, system began to shape. And we said, all right, we, if we're gonna be a people of the book, let's not wait until we're adults to learn this. Let's get this into the minds of our kids as early as possible. And so they begin to establish three different stages of the educational system for the Jewish people. There's Jewish names for them. I'm not gonna bore you with them, but just so you know that there's three of them. And the first one, everyone was invited to. It was kind of like uh, you know elementary school, grade school, even high school for, for Americans. Like you just, you're supposed to go. Everybody, everybody goes. And then college is supposed to be like this. If you wanna kind of continue in that and go and specialize into a field, you can go to college, right? And you can expand upon that and maybe not everybody goes for that. So in stage one, ages five through 10, everybody, everybody, every good Jewish kid memorized. The first five books of the Old Testament—they would call it the Torah or the Pentateuch: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If we're going to function as a good society and religious society with our God, this is going to be kind of a core thing for citizenship. Which sounds like a lot to us, but you know, it, it's—you um, know—you can't memorize your pin number for your for your bank card. You know, I'm like, I can't even remember that. Um, they're memorizing the first five books by the age of ten, but. Then if you were smart enough and you had and showed enough academic promise, you graduated to stage two. Uh, Stage two, you would learn the entire, what they would call the Tanakh or the Torah, uh, the Nevim and the Ketuvan, which is the the law, the prophets and the writings. So basically the entire Old Testament as we have it, they would have had a different order. We talked about that in week two, Uh, but they would remember, like these kids would remember, kids at this time uh, up through their teenage years would, would memorize all of those things. And then if you were really smart enough, had all of that down, you would graduate, and the top one percent or two percent would then study under a rabbi, which is stage three, in the in the hopes of one day becoming a rabbi yourself, interpreting the law and becoming a wise sage for a community, becoming a, a, a pastor of sorts for these these types of things. <laughs> Side note: for let me let me just, if that's the educational system, then what we see with Jesus coming to people like Peter and James and John, who are who are fishermen, who because they're fishermen. Is a pretty good indicator that they never made it past stage one, or maybe they made it past stage one, but they definitely didn't come to stage three. Are then invited to sit under the uh, the the leadership of Jesus who is recognized as a rabbi, he's inviting them into a level of the education system that they could not have access, that they didn't have access to, which is perhaps one of the big reasons why they left what they did in such a hurry is because this is what everybody wanted, but so few people got there. But anyways, that's how the setup was. I say all of that because I want you to realize the depth and the magnitude in which the readers of the gospel stories would have had with an obsession with the biblical text, with the Hebrew scriptures, and with that sort of a story, right? With that kind of a history uh, behind it. This is who's reading all of this. Trying to make sense of a God who had big plans for us, things went awry, and what do we need to do to set things right? And we think the secret lies somewhere in understanding, reading through, following through, and obeying the text. All right. Couple that in one hand, obsession with the text, with also the socio-political climate of that day, the world in which they lived. As welfare technology uh, developed, so did empire building. When they first started, they were likely a small group of people moving and, and immigrating from Egypt into the promised land. They would have these different fights and, and they would begin to make their way into what they would say are you know the, the areas in which Israel occupies now. But it's all tribalism. And that represented the, the the kind of method of the times. There were no empires. It was just, I got this group of people, we'll go fight this group of people. But as technology sort of increased and you get Iron Age, brands, Bronze Age, all that kind of stuff, then what, be, what we begin to see is less tribalism and more organized warfare. You see more kingdoms take place. Assyrians in the north, Babylonians in the south. Eventually, Persia would come over. They would do an empire. And then the biggest of them all would have been the Greek empire. Alexander the Great, you remember this from ancient civilizations class. They come in and be like, listen, we're going to take over everything. We're going to expand our reach everywhere. And the question for a lot of them was, how do we do this? We're one army. We're one nation. How does Greece have the influence? How does he become a world empire? What do empires look like? There had never been empires before that. What are we going to do to expand our reach and expand our influence, even though we're just one people? And Alexander the Great's strategy, one of the reasons why he's known as the great, um, and you know, whether he assigned that to himself like you do in high school and nicknames or whatever, or it was assigned to him elsewhere, was he had a really great strategy. We're going to go in. We're gonna fight, we're gonna you know, take our military prowess and all, all of that stuff. But then we are gonna introduce into this culture things that are so good, they'll never wanna leave. This, the, the term behind it was the Hellenization of the world. It was, we are going to bring in such access to education. They had basically four pillars of Hellenization. The four And the Hellenization is the systematization of Greek values into the socio-political fabric of the world. Blah, blah, blah. That's a lot of language. But anyways, what you need to know is, here were their promises. What you're going to get from us is you're going to get some education. You're going to get some healthcare. You're going to get... Uh, media or theater or entertainment, and you 're going to get athletics we What we do better than anyone in the world is are these four pillars of, of life of culture we 're going to culture you see the problem is you're unculturated right. So we're gonna come in, we're gonna bring, introduce, um, introduce you to these golden arches, uh, we're gonna introduce you to Walmart and shipping systems and two-day shipping from Amazon, and we're gonna give you all of these things and you're gonna love this so much, you won't wanna leave. We won't need a military presence in here. You'll look around and so many people will be like, well, we don't wanna revolt against the empire because we don't wanna lose access to education, healthcare, Theater and athletics. I mean, it's crazy. We, we, we. we I mean, if this sounds sort of familiar, it sounds like a, like a little bit of an Americanization or Westernization of a lot of parts of the world. Like this isn't new. America didn't start anything new. America just said we're going to do this even better, right? And we're going to in, in include prime shipping, right? And we're going to add things to the reason why you should sign up for us. Then. As empires rise and fall, uh, eventually Rome would come in and they would add military might to this thing or imperial military might to this. We're going to do all of these things, but then we're also going to do a, you better stick around or else we will come and fight you uh, as a result of this. And they did have more technology and more people and more money and all of these sort of things. So what you have on one hand are a people who are obsessed with the religious text because they think... This is gonna be what sets us right and gets us back in right standing in our land and in a position and what it means to be the people of God. And then they're also dealing with, from a cultural standpoint, externally for them, uh, they are part of the province of Rome. They are or part of the empire of Rome. They are an outer province. They are on, on, the, on the outskirts of it. If you were assigned by Rome to be there, as Pontius Pilate was, it was probably because you failed somewhere else. Uh, and it was probably because nobody wants this job, but you've got to go, somebody's got to be the governor of Finley, um, you know, or the, or the governor of some or Texas or Arkansas or something like that. So we're going to, we're going to, sorry, if you're from there, that's fine. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but somebody's got to do it. So we're going to send these people over there and, and, and they're going to, they're going to, you know, this is going to be their empire. You're, you're going to obey. You're going to listen. You're going to do these sorts of things. So, so who are the gospels written to? The original audience of the gospel writings were people who were obsessed with trying to make sense of a book that they feel like shows us the way, and the reason that we haven't been or aren't where we should be is because of the cursings that were appropriated in this book. And so we're obsessed with this book, but on the other hand, we're also under the thumb of Rome constantly. We're constantly being bombarded with the propaganda of Rome, showing us that this is the way, this is the Roman way, we do this, this is imperial, this is empire, this is... so the question that undoubtedly was wrestled in the minds of the people who originally read the gospel stories written from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was what do we do with or to Rome? What do we do with or to Rome? What are we gonna do with empire? How do we respond with this, with these promises of healthcare, education reform? Uh, theater, athletics, all of this culture, how do we deal with this? How do we navigate sort of this? And they had a few different responses, depending on kind of which political group you were at. In the same way, you know, if, if I asked even in this, this group, I want everybody on their connect cards to write down, what does America need to do in the next four years to set things right or whatever? Like I'd get it like a very broad, we're not going to do that, by the way. I'm not, I'm not please don't. Uh, but if I did, I, I, you can imagine there'd be some people would be like, I'm going to need more cards. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Let me borrow your connect card. Uh, But we'd all have an opinion on what do we do with this sort of thing. Same thing. So when we see in scripture, um, different groups of people receiving the texts of the gospels, they're interpreting it differently through the lens of their answer to this question. What do we do to or with Rome? Do we either work with them Right? There are some people who go, these are really good things, all of the things that are provided. Listen, the Roman road system is probably the reason the church exploded in the growth era. There, there, would be, uh, there would have been no time in prior history, prior to the Roman road system, that the church could have grown the way that it did. Um, that we have Roman roads to thank for the expansion of Paul's missionary journeys and, and really the church, uh, it, it would have been so isolated previously to that, right? So there's, there's some really good things that come with that. And I mean, it makes sense in terms of healthcare. Um, if we want people to... Uh, to be able to, to learn and, and grow and share and, and have kids and raise kids, we're going to need them to live longer. We're going to need them to be able to read scripture and, and have this sort of an education thing. Education's good. is uh, good. Uh, entertainment's good. Got to do something, right? So we're going to work with them. We're going to be co-laborers at this thing. We can offer critiques along the way, but we work with them. Or we work against them. Nah, everything they do is wrong. You talk to some people politically, depending on where they're at and which, who they vote for and who the other one is. If they're, if the current president doesn't have the same letter that they have in their voting scripture, they can't do anything, right? You know what I mean? We just work everything that they do is wrong. Oh, we're always against them. <laughs> it's, it's it's funny, work against them. We 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 know where we stand on this. We could separate ourselves from them, or we could ignore them. Those are the four common basic strategies. When we read the gospel stories, the audience of Jesus, when he talks to people, fell into one of these things. These were their four answers to the question of what do we do to or with Rome. Now, just to break them down real quick, the first one is oftentimes Sadducees. Uh, The work against them is oftentimes zealots. Separate themselves would be called Essenes, and ignore them would have been basically the Pharisees. So, when you read people, uh, or when you read in the scripture, people going, and the Pharisees said this, and the Sadducees said this, and the, the Zealots, Simon the Zealot, the reason he pulled the, you know, did all these things was because of this. There was, this was the political climate of the time that the gospel stories and the time that Jesus existed and who he was preaching to. These are the four active options for them. Now, to that audience and in that world, obsessed, obsessed with the text, questioning how, what to do to and with Rome, we see four different versions of what we have come to know as the gospels. Now, when I say gospels, if you grew up in church, you immediately associate it with the letters or the writings of, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the New Testament authors would not have done, would not have thought that way. They, Christianity did not originate gospel writing. Gospel, the word gospel means evangelion, which is basically translated as good news. Here are, here's a writing that is good news. It's a genre of, of writing. It's a style of a document. It's a piece of literature that was designed intentionally to say something a certain way. It's propaganda literature is what it is. Typically from an empire, Christianity did not originate gospels. Christianity hijacked gospels. They had been in existence prior to. They were a leverage tool from empires to get out the good news of a new king and a new kingdom. We have great news for you. We have incredible news. Alexander the Great has come in, and yes, people died, but we have good news. We're gonna provide you with healthcare. We're gonna provide you with education. We're gonna provide you with all of these things. You're gonna love it then Rome would come along and we have also great news with this. A new king has arrived. They came and they capitalized on this and perfected the art, taking every opportunity they could to proclaim good news, propaganda. A new emperor has arrived. In fact, one of the most famous stories uh, of, of Roman history is the assassination of Julius Caesar on the Senate floor, right? Ides of March um, and Brutus and all that kind of stuff. Um, and. Uh, what we see is uh, this, this man who came out of this Republic scenario and he, he begins to get more powerful, declares himself emperor, a son of a God or a God himself. You guys are lucky to have me, all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> then he's assassinated because people don't like that. They're, they're like, we are a democracy, whatever. They kill him. And as a result of his death, it becomes a question of succession, Who's going to take over after he leaves? Is it going to be two big options emerge amongst others, um, but one is the uh, his adopted son Octavian and the other is his uh, military general Mark Antony. And the history has it Mark Antony Cleopatra that whole piece they they those two people fight this thing out and they are in a side they're in a, a season of, of life where for a long time people are like you have to pick one of these two people. Beware which one you pick, because if they lose, you're going to be on the wrong side of history, and you don't want to be there, right? So, and I imagine that this is a big, uh, like, if if this is a common plot line for uh, the the show Succession right now, Game of Thrones, all of these types of things. Be sure you want to pick who you're going to side your horses in, who are you putting your pushing your chips in on, in terms of who's going to take over this leadership. These two have this battle eventually. The battle is is fought and Octavian wins and he becomes the new emperor. Mark Antony goes away with Cleopatra and they go away. But then Octavian decides he's gonna change his name and he's gonna spread the news that he has won. Good news, everybody. Octavian has won, but it's not Octavian anymore. He changes his name to Caesar Augustus, hoping to align himself with the positive viewpoints of Julius Caesar because the people really were behind Julius Caesar. And so he said, I'm Caesar and I'm Augustus, the son of the gods, and I'm gonna send this out and I'm gonna let people know there's a new king and a new kingdom and a new way of doing things. And if you are in Rome, you've got invited to a party to celebrate all this or, or parades through the city. If you were um, close by, you were sent legions of army people to kind of do this. And if you were further out, if you were in the further expanses of the Roman empire, as they're trying to hold things together, they would have gotten letters or, or, or stone inscriptions or something to say, don't worry, everything's fine. Everything's stable. The kingdom is fine. There's a new king in town. We have good news. He's awesome. You're gonna love him even more than the first one. So German archeologists uncovered a stone in modern day Turkey. This was just a few years ago, um, in the, stone, the uh, inscription of, uh, in Prien. It was a town called Prien at the time. And here is the picture of the actual stone that you can go see. There's, it's in a museum. And on it has this writing, this declaration of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the new emperor of Rome. And I'm not sure how brushed up you are on your um, ancient Roman writing. So I'm gonna go ahead and read it for you. It, it's Greek writing. Um, here's, here's basically what it says. Citizens of Prien, since divine providence has brought to life the most perfect good in Augustus, whom she filled with virtues for the benefit of all mankind, bestowing on us Augustus Caesar as savior of the world, for he has put an end to a certain way and brought perfect peace. By the epiphany of his birth, he brought the gospel of peace to all mankind. For that reason, the Greeks of Asia have on this day declared that the new year should begin from now on, on the 23rd of September, the day of the birth of this God. Never will another gospel surpass the gospel that was announced at his birth. He is not only Lord of the empire, but Lord of the earth and of the calendar and of time itself. And if, you grow, if you've grown up in church or if you've ever attended a Christmas Eve service at Eastlake or any church for that matter. And heard some of the birth narratives of Jesus and the birth stories of Jesus and the angels declaring to the shepherds on this day, uh, a savior has been born, he'll be the prince of peace and the government will be on, the sh- on his shoulders. And if you've ever looked at the time, you know, in here there's talk about the, all of time, time and, and dates are gonna be measured by the life of this person. And yet when you go and and you begin to sign things, uh, you know, you would never say A.D. anymore. But Anna Domini, in the years of our Lord, we we know that everything was definitely centered around this. Why? Why? because this was the language of the medium of a gospel that went out into the world. And when the people, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saw and experienced what it was like to live at the, under the teachings of Jesus and hear the stories that they heard and saw the things that they saw, and when he died and rose again and he said to them, go and spread my story into the rest of the world, they hijacked a gospel because they knew that this is how this propaganda thing works. Rome is trying to sell you a message on what life is supposed to look like and the best way to do it. But Jesus has invited us into a new way of doing it. That's the gospel story, guys. That is the good news. That is what is happening. They are taking this and saying, you're familiar with gospels, so let's borrow that, but instead of it being Rome and all of the proponents of Rome, and all of the um, things associated with Caesar Augustus, a new king and a new empire. There is a new king, and there is a new empire, and there is a new way of doing life. But it has nothing to do with that, and everything to do with somebody and something else. And to miss that is to misread the gospels, to understand that, is perhaps a tool for us to ask then better questions about the gospels. Once we know that, once we read this as propaganda, and, and propaganda has like a negative term oftentimes because it's associated with somebody you know, promoting a negative empire, but propaganda is always just, you, you think this, but I'm, I'm trying to unveil the eyes of this and the brokenness of this and invite you into something different. When we read that, when we read the gospels through that lens, we see a group of people saying, we've existed long enough in a world that tells us to chase things and to chase self and to chase titles and, and uh, money and access and privilege and all of these things. And then Jesus comes along and with his disciples of the Last Supper, says, you've seen people lord things over them, but not so with you. I'm inviting you to consider others better than yourself. I'm inviting you when you're in a position of authority to get on your knees and wash the feet of those who are supposedly underneath you because there's value in every human being that every human being has been made in the image of God. When Rome tries to sell you the propaganda that the person in charge is the son of God, Jesus invites you to see every single person as made in the image of God. That's the propaganda. That's the invitation. That's the difference. Listen, we oftentimes, if you grew up in church, you've associated, like you, you had people up like me going, hey, we got to go share the good news, which is basically go tell people that we meet at 9.15 and 10.30 on a Sunday morning, right? Or tell them what they have to believe to be saved. I mean, that's fine. I want you to invite your friends, but the good news that needs to be shared is You don't have to buy into necessarily what the world is selling you as this is what it means to live a fulfilled life. This is what it means to be good. The invitation that Jesus invites us into is perhaps there's a different way. Perhaps there's a rebel alliance of sorts that we've come come to say no to empire, especially empire that is consumeristic and egotistical and all about the self and all about the powerful and the rich and the whatever's. The way of Jesus is seeing things differently. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John saw that. And they wanted so desperately to communicate it in such a creative way. And so when they did, they decided to leverage the tool of a gospel. And that's what we have. And that's why I think you should read it. And I think you should read it through those eyes. I think it'll shape the way that you see it and shape the way that you understand it. And then perhaps lead us to ask better questions of it. Some of those questions I put on the, uh, I'm putting on the screen for you as a chance to continue the conversation. I've done this a couple of times. Um, And the goal would be that you live in community with enough people, whether it's somebody you live with and, and come to church with, or in a small group, or lunch together afterwards, or coffee sometime this week. People that are on the same page, who wrestling with the same struggle with you um, or wrestling through the same things <clears throat> and perhaps things to kind of spark conversation. So three questions. Uh, they're all gonna be on that notes thing in the app too. So if you, can, you can't, can't write them down fast enough, they're gonna be on there. You can get that. Question to continue conversation. Number one is simply, it's just a fun one to get the conversation started. What's something that you've unearthed from storage that has brought you joy, nostalgia, or happiness lately? What's something you could recall being like, I didn't, I can't, I not I can't remember what, what happened here. I, this is amazing. This is, this is bringing back all of these this flood of memories from this time that we went on this trip or went to this place. Number two is this. What is the good news that our current culture is trying to convince us of? And how does it match up to the good news the gospel writers wrote about? So that's where we're trying to kind of go, okay, this is a certain way of doing life. And then this is a Jesus way of doing life. Sometimes there's some really good overlap. And then sometimes... I, in order to say yes to this, it means I have to live saying no to this. What are those things? Number three, how does the subversive, intentional, or I'm going to add propagandic approach to the gospel writings by their authors change how we might interpret what they mean? In other words, how does the style of something change our interpretation of it? There are certain ways that, of things that are written, the style that they're written in, Changes the way that we read it. Oh, that's just poetry. He doesn't actually want to rip out his heart and give it to her. He's just using imagery. You know what I mean? Like stylistic stuff has a tone to it and a way of reading it and interpreting it. And how does this, being a gospel propaganda material, change the way that we read it? So, my hope is that you actually read your Bible. And I hope that this series is intentionally helping you have a better perspective of what you're dealing with so that you'll ask better questions. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would help us understand this, resonate with this, help us to um, look to your scripture as a resource for uh, life, that this is a history of um, people wrestling with the idea of God. I also believe that it is inspired by you, orchestrated by you, and comes to us as a gift and as a tool for us to help make sense of Um, how we are supposed to think and then how we are supposed to live. So give us the wisdom to know what that looks like and how we deal with the Gospels and uh, encourage you to do something about it in our reading this week. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, EastLakeTriCities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.